Um, yeah, my name is Phil. Uh, if the slides will come for in a moment. Um, there's a lot of new faces here today. So, uh, yeah, I've been here for about a year or so now, with my wife, Jen. Um, and just a heads up, I said this, I preached a few weeks ago for the first time, and, and just there are new people here. So I do weird things, and I do heavy things. So that's what I warned everyone last time, and I think they'll agree it was weird and heavy. And we're going there again. So just a heads up, that's where we're going today. Um, if we can get the, the slides. Perfect. So yes, we're talking about obedience this morning. So before I begin, I just want to give you just a little insight into my brain, which be prepared. Um, as I was writing my notes, um, obviously I wrote the word obedience a lot, and I wrote the word Jesus a lot. And for some reason, as I was thinking these two, I was like, you know what? That sounds like a really good aftershave, like obedience by Jesus. <laughs> and this is what I do. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I Facebook the, the talented Adam Latham. This isn't my work. It's just my brain. And I was like, that works, doesn't it? It really works. It's good, isn't it? And then um, this is, I wholly approve of this. Then Adam then sent me a second picture. <laughs> For those of you who I visited, this is SP in the front row here. It just works, doesn't it? Um, and that got me thinking. I was like, wait a minute. Hmm. Stephen Peter. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Peter, the head of the church. Is SP the second coming? I don't even know. It works. So there you go. That's how my brain thinks. And thanks to Adam for uh, turning that into as good as it was. Yeah, well, no, it's fine. Just letting it sit, SP. Okay, so, uh, if we, yeah, move, I have to take it away now before it gets distracting. Okay, so why, so Stephen Viv gave me free choice of what to preach on, um, and I chose obedience. Um, and a couple of reasons why. One is um, a few weeks ago, a bunch of us went to a, a bank holiday weekend. We went to something called David's Tent, which was a Christian festival. A couple of some more people loved David's Tent. One fan for me, one for David's Tent. And um, it was a brilliant weekend, and, and you should go next year. And I went for the first time. But one of the things that really struck me right at the end is right at the end of the, the three days, and for those uh, who don't know, it's centred around 72 hours of continuous... Uh, worship and time spent with God. Um, and right at the end of the three days, uh, the, the, on the final morning, uh, Monday afternoon, Monday morning kind of time, the, the trustees of David's tent got up there and, and shared some things about their heart for the coming year, what they'd like to see all the kind of Christians, all the worshippers there do. And what really struck me um, is what, both what they said and what they didn't say. So what they didn't say is, we'd love you to keep worshipping. They didn't say, we'd love you to keep spending time with God, although I'm sure they weren't saying those are bad things. It's not what they said. They said two things, or well, a number of things. But two really stood out to me. One of them was, I'd love this year for us to learn the meaning of obedience. And the second one said, I'd love this year for us all to learn what holiness means. And it really struck me that we've spent three days um, experiencing God, worshipping God, and these people who were really kind of maybe the beating heart, the kind of the guiding principles of David's tent, that's what they would want us to move out of that time to do, to obey God and to learn what it means to be holy. 
And so that was sticking with me, and that's when Viv, uh, Stephen Viv asked me to preach. I really wanted to kind of pick up on that theme. Um, the other thing I'll just say before I kind of begin is this has been probably kind of the hardest message I've ever prepared. Um, it's an incredibly heavy uh, topic. Um, it's an incredibly scary topic. Um, it's a massive topic as well. And um, I think I listened to kind of seven to eight sermons on the topic and all completely different themes, completely different texts. Um, it's such a heavy topic. It's very hard to stand here and talk about this without feeling like you might come across as a hypocrite. Um, while obviously I don't necessarily think you can only teach on things that you can do, this one is one I'm just terrible at. Um, I think, I guess we all are to some extent. None of us are fully obedient to God. So it's very, very hard for me to work out how to pitch this, what to say, what to focus on. So although, you know, I will say this all the time, but this is just so true this time, I really am teaching myself as much as I'm teaching anyone else. Sitting with this message all week has been incredibly convicting. Um, and I've been already changed and challenged and transformed by just my preparation. So that's obviously my hope for you. Um, but please, my heart is that this is not me saying, guys, I've learned how to be obedient, this is how you do it. Because um, it's not true. So what do I want to do? Um, well, first I want to take you to some passages just to underline this uh, session of obedience. So we can go to the first scripture. So this is the words of Jesus in John. And Jesus said this, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will love my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So again, this is Jesus himself, and he's quite clear. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So this is uh, how important and how big deal obedience is. And if that didn't make you maybe slightly uncomfortable, the next one will. So if we go to the next one. So this is one John, the same author, later on writing a letter. Uh, and he kind of expands essentially what Jesus said a bit more. And he says this. We know that you have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, if that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, then you're a lot less disobedient than I am. Um, and that's, this is, you know, maybe that's started to communicate some of the weight of this. This is something you don't want to get wrong. Um, one thing I did do, and this is where I'm going to go today to try and help us unpack this. Uh, I put on Facebook, I like putting things on Facebook to prepare people to think. And I asked people to do word association on the word obedience. Um, and apart from two people, Anna and Rachel, who have to teach what word association means, who gave me like an essay on obedience. Thank you. It was, it was, it was great stuff. It's just not word association. Um, there were 71 different words. 71 words, sorry, I got. And uh, 54 of them were different for maths fans. And... Um, but what is nice is, that I think, the most common word, which is the one we're going to go down today, was the word love. I think it was about four of us, and I, I didn't actually do it. So four of you guys had the word love. And that's kind of one of my takeaway here. Love, and this is what these passages clearly say, as challenging as they are, they equate obedience with love. 
And there was a lot of other words that came out, like discipline and hard and rules and effort and all sorts of other words, um, which are not untrue words, um, but the key one we would take away and get us associating with obedience is love. Because love is how God intends now obedience to be. So if you quickly go to next slide. So we're going way back now. We're going back to Jeremiah, Old Testament, the prophet, and this is what he prophesied. He said, this is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. After that time, meaning the time we're in now, after the Son of Man has come. Uh, this is the covenant I'll make with my people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And this was completely different. In the Old Testament, it was primarily, uh, at least that's the way they interpreted, a, a rule-based thing. It was, you do this right thing, uh, obey me, and this will be the consequences. And this is the prophet Jeremiah saying, actually, no, there will be time coming when God changes this equation. He's going to change it to a way that says, actually... Um, it's gonna make, I'm going to make it about love. I'm going to make it not about behaviours and doing the right thing, but I'm going to make it about um, what's in their hearts. And so that's what we're doing this morning. I'm basically going to try and sketch out what I think are, what is the heart of obedience. What makes up this heart which enables us to equate love with obedience. So there's quite a lot of material. I'm not going to deny that. I'm going to run through it quite fast. But there's, it all felt so important and is a holistic picture that I want to paint for you. And my heart for this is that as you go through, as we go through each of these areas, some might resonate with you, some might challenge you, some might encourage you. Um, and they're the ones I want to take you, or love you to take away. To put your heart against this heart and say, actually, is that what my heart is doing? How do I have a heart of obedience? Is my heart matching this kind of heart? And if not, what might I do about it? So that's where we're going. So let's start off with the first one. Okay, gratitude. So we start with Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Book of Romans, um, and this is the end of Book of Romans, is all really about the mechanics of grace. We won't say any more than that. And this is where the key word therefore is. It's like all of that mechanics of grace. This is everything God's done for you and how he did it and why he did it. And he says, therefore, in view of this mercy... Give your bodies as kind of obedient, living, pure sacrifices. And that's the key. I read, heard one sermon, a guy said, this really matches what happens in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, before God asks us to obey, he reminds us of what he's done for him. He either said in the Old Testament, I am the one who rescued you out of Egypt. I am the God of your forefathers, therefore you do this. So that's the first question is, how grateful is your heart to God? Um, I'm one of those Christians whose testimony starts with, oh, I grew up in a Christian family, um, which was kind of annoying. Um, and because uh, everyone just switches off. And um, one of the things about that is that uh, I sometimes wish I kind of lived before Jesus. Because I, I'll be honest, here, I really struggle to feel the gratitude sometimes of the cross because I never lived in a time when the cross wasn't in my life, it wasn't a frame. Whereas, uh, obviously, before Jesus, that was, the, that was the, the framework, the morality. You have to obey God, you have to obey his rules, um, and then you'll be holy and pleasing to God, then you'll be acceptable. And then Jesus came along and just smashed it all out of the water. Um, I mean, there are other things I don't regret, like Gentile circumcision, pretty, <laughs> which, which they did. So I'm pretty pleased, don't have to do that. Um, but, <laughs> so for me... <laughs> 
Um, the one story I, I would share, which is this is, shows me how far I am from personally, how, far, how hard I find it for gratitude. So the story of about uh, six years ago now, me and my friend were having dinner. Um, and we hadn't seen each other for a while. Um, and it was quite a long dinner. We were there for like, a couple of hours. And some of you are thinking, that's not very long. Like me and him are both introverts. That's a long time. So, um, and we came, and so, you know, we had multiple drinks and, and starters and desserts. And we came to pay at the end, and we got our wallets out, and we sort of worked out roughly how much it was going to cost, and we got, um, started working who's going to pay what. Um, and the waiter came over, and he said, uh, someone's already paid your bill. And we're like, what? And he was like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, that woman who was sat next to you, she paid your bill before she left. And he was like, I figured you knew her. And we're like, no. And I, to this day, I mean, I clock someone sat near us and then went in a way you just clock that kind of thing but uh, we have no idea why she did it i mean uh, yeah I, we, we have no idea um and that, even now that sticks with me and that is what grace is supposed to feel like i know that's how grace is supposed to feel like that actually you're so clear about the consequences of what you've done and the payment you have to pay and you're about to pay it and then someone just wipes it just without you asking for it and I, mean, I, I, yeah, like I said, I, I hold that story in mind because that's my target story. I need to keep feeling like that about what Jesus has done for me. Um, so that's what I'm going to say on gratitude, um, except to ask, obviously, this question again. Um, how grateful are you for God? Are you grateful for everything he's done for you? We sang all sorts of wonderful songs earlier about how much he's done. How much do you really know that in your everyday life when it comes to obedience? Or are we being complacent? Do we take God for granted? Okay, so that's gratitude, humility. Next slide. So we're going to Philippians 2, 5 to 8 here. So this is Paul and he says this, Have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, and used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, this is quite a famous verse. If anyone who's been around the church, love this passage. Um, and I want to pick out one key thing here. One, the difference between owning your life and possessing your life. So what this passage is telling us about is actually Jesus knew that actually, although God had given him this human life and that he was God in human form, it wasn't his necessarily to do whatever he wanted with it. He made a choice, he humbled himself to actually submit to his father's purpose of that life. He made a choice and said, actually, I'm not going to you know, take this life and do what I want with it, but actually I'm going to give it back to the father, become obedient to the father, um, and use it for death, even death on a cross. Um, and Jen will attest to this. This kind of this underlying thing is is why I tend to make uh, dinner quite awkward sometimes with guests. So probably my least my not with me and her, well you're the guests. So my least favourite phrase, and never say this to me, or you will get this this sermon again. Um, never say to me if I'm talking about a difficult decision. Never say to me, it's your life got to do what makes you happy. Never say it to me because I will I can't control myself. <laughs> Uh, as Jen will attest to. And I, I remember one particular, okay, a really great guy, really, like Christian guy, and he said these words to me and I basically exploded at him for a good 10 minutes and I think he was a bit shocked. Um, because I don't believe that at all. 
I believe God has given me this life, and I do possess this life, but it's not my life. I didn't create this life for me to have free choice of how to use it. The life belongs to God. And when we're talking about the obedient heart, the obedient heart is aware of this and chooses to humble itself and say, this is a life been given to me for a purpose, and I'm going to choose not to use it for my own purposes, even though those are not offered to me, but actually I'm going to choose to use it for God's purpose. So that's the second part. Are we humbling ourselves before our creator, or are we treating our lives as if we created it? Okay, so that's gratitude. Heart of obedience is grateful. Heart of obedience chooses humility. Witness, number three. So we get where this is actually just after that passage, so it's actually making a similar point, Philippians 2, a bit further on. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, that you can become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars, shine among them, sorry, like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Um, one of my other kind of pet hates, uh, which I probably should stop, is like attacking Hallmark Christianity. So those bits of the Bible especially, we take out and like put on a bracelet or put on a, you know, get tattooed somewhere on us. Not that I'm against tattoos. But one of them in this, which we love, and I, I say so, I used to have a bracelet that said this, shine like stars, right? It wasn't an ankle bracelet. This was, this was before ankle bracelets came cool. This was like the mid-90s. Um, you won't, don't get me on that one. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, shine like stars. It's, how nice is it for us to go around thinking, like, I'm going to shine like a star. It's just great, isn't it? It's really nice. Um, it's not, and that's not a bad thing. But what is Paul? Paul is not, well, he is saying that, but he's saying it in a very particular way. Um, He's saying you shine like stars when you're blameless and pure, not just when you're a, a kind of a nice person. And what is he contrasting it with? He's contrasting it with a warped and crooked generation. I find that language quite tough. Um, so one quick, another quick story. And when I first started kind of working, um, which wasn't that long ago, but it was, um, I remember being super on fire and I was like, I'm going to go into this workplace and I'm going to be a really great person and I'm going to shine like stars. I suspect I was wearing this bracelet at the time. Um, and, you know, I got there and I was like, mm, everyone here is kind of nice, you know, in a, in a good way, obviously, but I'm not really standing out here. Um, I don't really feel like I'm shining like a star. Um, and I kind of realised actually... Because in that, in that conception of being a good person, I was just being a good person in the way a lot of people are a good person. I probably wasn't reading this in the same sense as, am I really, was I really being blameless and pure? Was I really being fully obedient and holy? Um, and I really wasn't. And it was really challenging to say, well, how do you stand out? And the, the thing for me was, if I'm not standing out, then I'm not doing what this verse is talking about. If I'm not being so radical in my obedience and my love and the things I do and don't do, um, then I'm not doing it. Um, and it's a real challenge um, to think about actually what this verse is saying is obedience is a witness, but a, like really radical obedience is a witness we're really talking about. Doing those, sometimes doing the really countercultural hard things is actually where the heart of obedience comes from. Um, 
Jesus says, sorry, Jesus says somewhere in Matthew, Matthew 5, 45, if you only love your friends, then you're doing no different to unbelievers. The question is, what are you doing for your enemies and those you don't know? That's why I think this is talking about from Paul. And the, the other purity, which is a hard purity. Let me kind of finish this on a nicer little story, which uh, someone sent me, my dad sent me when I was preparing. Um, it's a story of a chap called Bill. So Bill was a drug addict, um, a substance abuser, his life was falling apart. And he encountered a Christian ministry. Um, and through the Christian ministry, they helped him and showed him love, and he met Jesus, and his life was transformed. And Bill started to volunteer everywhere, and he was, suddenly became the person who would stay the latest. He would clear up people's sick. He would clear up uh, people's feces. He'd do whatever was needed to show love to these people. Um, and he became really well-known among the other, the other drug addicts and, and alcohol uh, recoverers who were, were part of this ministry. Um, and then one day, uh, the, the gospel was being presented to kind of a new set of people. And uh, the, the guy presenting the gospel was, was talking, and suddenly this guy at the back, this kind of someone who'd come to this ministry, um, started crying out saying, Oh, Lord, make me like Bill. Lord, make me like Bill. And someone came up to him and said... Um, don't you mean make me like Jesus? And the guy said, oh, what? Is, Bill like, is Jesus like Bill too? <laughs> it's always great when you trash the punchline. Um, but that's the flip side of it. The more you are like Jesus in every single way of your life, the more people will be like, I want to be like that person. And you can then say, I'm just being like Jesus. That's a radical witness and makes people completely see how different your life is. I want to be like that person. So that's witness. So the obedient heart is grateful, chooses humility, knows what it's doing is witnessing through its full, pure and blameless obedience. And then we come to sanctification. So everyone likes uh, my visuals. So this is a really quick one. So this is not supposed to be there. This wasn't, who did that? This is not a rubbish pile. This is a spiritually anointed visual aid. Okay. Do you actually, can, do you know what? Can, can someone go and hold the mic for me? Is that all right? Thanks, Steve. So, I just want to really lay out the difference between sanctification and salvation really, really quick. Okay. So, I'm going to make a mess. Is that okay, Steve? I didn't clear it at first. So, this is like us. Okay. And unfortunately, we are, we're broken. We're not whole. And so we leak everywhere. I mean, you know, we can try and cover it up, but you can't, you can't stop the leak. And it goes everywhere when I do it like this. Um, and this is a problem. <laughs> and so the first thing we come to is salvation. So what is salvation is the, is the act of this. This is a Jesus cup, as if you've been to Starbucks. What's your name? Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, you can't fix yourself. You're broken. Um, but I can fix you. And he does this. So now, we're not fixed. We haven't changed anything about ourselves, but we stopped leaking. Okay. So that's salvation. So what's sanctification? Sanctification is this. I, my sense, my place of salvation is permanently changed. That's never going to go back. Whether I'm obedient or disobedient or change my life, transform my life at all, it doesn't matter. I'm still not going to leak anymore. But before my life with Jesus, things were kind of messy and things went all over the floor 
and things went all down my t-shirt. Um, and sanctification is essentially saying, God doesn't want me to live in this life anymore, the one that I had before, and the one that I still have the consequences of. Sanctification is Jesus saying, um, as uh, Timothy teaches, actually, I want to use you as much as I can. And for me to use as much as I can, I, I want you to obey me and do all the things that you were supposed to be doing. Um, I want you to clean up the floor. I want you to clean up your life. I want you to make you as clean as you were initially supposed to be. And again, it's got nothing to do with salvation. It's not if you don't clean yourself up, you're not saved. But it's if you don't clean yourself up, there'll be things in your life that you're going to struggle to they are going to come barriers to serving God. They're going to come barriers to how you feel about yourself. They're going to be barriers to what you do and don't do. So this is obedient heart knows the difference between salvation and sanctification. The obedient heart wants to be sanctified. Now it's been saved. It wants to clean up all the mess, which I will do. And it wants to get rid of all that stuff that's happened. Okay, identity. I'm going to literally rush through this because we spent... 12 or 1500 weeks on this one so if you are new or you missed some of them go back on our podcast uh, and listen to all the ones on, on identity but if we can just quickly flick to identity we spend a long time in Ephesians 1 <laughs> so let's, let's go again for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption in sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure. All I'm going to say is this. If our identity is in Christ, then obedience and disobedience almost don't matter because we're so secure in who we are. We're so grateful, and this is where all these things start to interlink. We're so grateful. We're happy to choose humility um, because of what he's done, and obedience becomes what we want to do. If our identity and our sense of value is in our partner or our work or, or our dream, then when it comes to that tough question of obedience, who are we going to obey? Are we going to obey our partner? Are we going to obey what work wants us to do? Are we going to obey what our dream is asking us for? So that's all I'm going to say on identity. But unless we know our identity is in Christ, um, well, I'll put it a different way, the obedient heart knows is so secure in its identity that actually disobedience doesn't deter it from obedience. Disobedience simply makes it want to get up and try again. That's all I'm going to say. And then very lastly, which really brings all this together, is relationship. So as I was mentioned at the start, um, when I was preparing, the word obedience in Jesus came almost always hand in hand. And I think this is the ultimate um, Act of obedience. So this is the end of Jesus' life, Luke 22. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, kind of contemplating about to go to the cross. And he went about, Jesus went the stones throw beyond them, the disciples. He knelt down and Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, take this cross from me, take this suffering from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And underlying all those other five areas that I've talked about is relationship. Like, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus do the hardest thing he could possibly have been asked to do because of his relationship with the Father? Throughout his whole life, you read the Gospels, he spent time praying. He spent time uh, in the Scriptures. He spent time constantly building his relationship with the Father, which enabled him to say those words, um, not my will, but yours. 
never to even ask the question, please, can this be taken away from him? But he was so secure in his identity, he was so secure in the purpose of his witness, he had chosen humility, um, all these things were in place for him to actually be able to be obedient. The heart of obedience comes from relationship. And I guess one thing, which, especially around this area, which I have taken away um, for me personally, is I need to stop trying to be obedient outside of my relationship with God. The level of my obedience will only be to the same level of my relationship. Um, if we're just disobedient or doing th- not doing things we're supposed to be doing or doing things we're not supposed to be doing and just keep trying harder and harder, it's not going to work. The first thing, and I'll come back to this in a minute, you need to go back to is just your relationship with God. Your level of obedience will be related to your level of relationship with God. And the other key thing about obedience I want to say is obedience is key for disobedience. Sorry, relationship is key for disobedience because it allows restoration. Right at the end of the Gospels, right after this passage, is, is an awesome contrast, if you look for it, between Judas and Peter. Both Judas and Peter betrayed God. They both disobeyed Jesus. One of them committed suicide in his grief. One of them wept and was restored by Jesus. What's the difference? One of them had a relationship with God. Peter had built a relationship with Jesus throughout his ministry. Judas had tried and put Jesus in religion. He wanted something from Jesus, and Jesus didn't end up doing that, hence why he betrayed him. And the nature of Peter's relationship enabled his disobedience to be restored, and Peter went on um, to become the head of the church. So that's kind of that foundation of all of these things. If any of those five above have kind of challenged you, what's the first thing you do? Go back to relationship with God. Don't try and make those things happen outside of a relationship with God. So as we kind of come, come to a close now, this is the, other, the, next kind of, the next step that I want to offer anyway. The obedient heart not only obeys when it hears, but it actively goes out and seeks the will of him it loves. So it's one thing to kind of know, whether it's a sermon or a friend or yourself, actually there's a particular thing that I know I need to be more obedient about. But actually the obedient heart and the heart Jesus was talking about when he said, if you love me, you obey my commands, not only responds reactively, but actually will proactively go out and say, Lord, where's my disobedience? Show me something else in my life that's impure. Show me something else in my life that you want. I mean, when's the last time... We kind of went to God and said, Lord, show me how I can obey you more. I don't know last time I did that is. So this is where we're at. Obedience is love. And for us all today, what does our attitude to obedience to God say about how much we love him? Um, we're going to take communion in a moment. Um, so I just invite the the relevant people to, to start coming out. But before that, I just want to add one final point. I don't know where, where you're at after all of that, but the last thing I want anyone to do is to sit here and feel condemned. Jesus said very explicitly, and he didn't come to bring condemnation, but freedom and salvation. So as we take communion, um, I just want to share what I would say might be the four steps um, of the discipline of the obedient heart. The first thing the obedient heart does in disobedience is, is repents. Um, is more than just says sorry, but actually makes an active choice to turn around. 
Um, I don't know if uh, I don't know how many of you kind of grew up in the church, but I remember really, really clearly uh, the best way someone, well, the best way people tried to explain sin to me was said, "In the centre of sin is I." So the centre of sin is yourself, your selfishness, you choosing yourself, not God. And what I realised when I did this sermon, what letter was in the centre of obedience? I. It's good, isn't it? That works. Um, so it's exactly the same way that sin is you choosing not to obey. Obedience is you choosing, you yourself choosing to obey. So that's the first thing, repent. Second thing, and this is so important why I wanted to say this, is feel the joy and the freedom. When we take communion, this was that cup. This was that cup coming over you saying, there are things in your life that aren't right, that aren't pure, that aren't holy, but it doesn't matter. I'm not condemning you for those things. I have saved you from those things. I want you to feel the joy and the freedom of that. And so, yeah, like I said, my heart is not for anyone here to feel not good enough or that actually, oh my God, there are really areas in my life where I'm not being obedient or I'm not, I don't have those characteristics of the obedient heart. But actually, as you take communion, I'd love you to ask God to feel that joy and that freedom from those things. Um, thirdly, uh, reveal it. If you know there are disobedience, you bring it into the light. You don't keep it to yourself. First, you share it with God. And what I would say is you share it with someone else in the church or a close friend. Tell them something you're struggling with. Ask them for help. Um, find a way that actually you're going to try and tackle that thing. I, whether it's doing something positive, um, like going to healing on the streets, or if it's stopping doing something you know is not what God wants you to do. And then lastly, like I've been saying, just go straight to relationship with God again. That's where you build this. I don't want anyone to go away thinking, oh, I need to work harder. I need to be more disciplined. I need to just stop doing that. I need to stop doing that and just beating yourself up about it and being, ah. Oh. And even that list of the attributes of the heart, I don't want anyone to go away thinking like, oh, damn it, I'm not, not grateful enough. Like, I'm not humble enough. Like, that's not the message here. Those are the things, the positive things that we're looking to build, to have, uh, to get to a place where we're fully obeying what Jesus says. If you love me, you obey my commands. And all that comes from relationship. Spending time with God, spending time at home group, spending time studying the word, knowing what God's purpose for your life as an individual as well as for a church is. So we're just going to, communion is going to happen at the back. Yep, it is now. Um, so let me say a couple of practical things and then I'll kind of introduce it communion a little bit um so what we do here if you're a visitor um we do a, a rip and dip that's what it's called anyway i'll explain that that sounds weird um <laughs> we take the bread um which is the body of christ and then we dip it um in the cup which is the blood and then come back to your seat but i'll finish with a few things one um one of my favorite authors is eugene peterson um, who translated the message. Um, wonderful pastor, wonderful author. Um, and actually, he, I found that he stole it from someone else. But he has a book um, called... Not The Message. You can steal that. Um, he has a book um, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Um, and as I've kind of been personally reflecting on everything I've said this morning and thinking how I want to put it into practice... I just realized that obedience is the marathon event. Um, it's long, 
Sometimes we'll be fast, sometimes we'll be slow. Sometimes we'll stumble, sometimes we'll be going really well. But what we do is we keep walking. We keep walking in the same direction. And at the end, what you'll find is a father's halfway down the road with a robe and a crown saying, well done, good and faithful servant. All you have to do is be walking in the same direction, trying to cultivate that heart of obedience that equates loving God with obeying his commandments. So as we take communion, which of course is a remembrance of Jesus dying on the cross for us, remembering that gratitude, choosing to humble ourselves, such a manifestation of that obedient heart, reminder of that obedient heart. Um, I'm going to leave you this amazing quote that I found from a theologian called Andrew Murray. And he said this, Jesus' obedience on the cross for our sins is a treasury from which both the debt of our past obedience is paid and the resource of our future obedience is found. Jesus' obedience is a treasury from which both the debt of our past disobedience is paid and the resource of our future obedience is found.